Good morning, Grace Church. Today, we're going to talk about the lie that we believe that good Christians, good, solid, Bible-believing Christians cannot get depressed. And uh, that is a lie. And uh, I hope that you hear that as a lie. And uh, today, we're going to take a look at the idea that uh, good, solid, Christ-following, God-following, God-fearing people uh, in the Bible have struggled with depression. So I'll show you that today. Before we do that, let me, let's just pray together and uh, we're going to jump right into it. Father, I thank you for, Lord, just the opportunity we have to draw close to you today, Lord, to, to give you our undivided attention. And I pray, God, today that your spirit, Father, would lead every word that I say, that I would not say anything haphazardly, God, but that your spirit, Father, would really uh, anoint me, Father, for this time. And uh, I pray that this would be helpful to people, God. I pray that first and foremost that you would give us, if we're not struggling with depression, I pray that you would give us a compassion for those that are. And I pray, Father, that for those that are struggling right now, I pray that, that uh, Lord, you would give them some clear strategy as how to deal with the depression that they have. And I thank you, Father, for this day in Jesus' holy and powerful name, I pray Amen. Well, I want to start today with talking to you about my own journey that uh, kind of led to this message. And it started about six years ago when I came down with an illness. What I didn't know is that I had an acute parasite infection. And in that acute a par parasite infection, uh, one of the primary symptoms of that infection was debilitating anxiety and depression. And I had never been depressed. It's not something that I'd ever struggled with. And all of a sudden I wake up one day and I had this, you know, this uh, overwhelming sense of doom. Couldn't put my finger on it. Didn't know where it was coming from. And, uh, and truthfully, I, I, I was off of work for about four months. Uh, eventually I figured out what the problem was and began to go on a series of, of uh, treatments for that. And today I can tell you that uh, I am 99.9% .9 better uh, from that, that whole illness. And, and uh, I rejoice in that and give God the glory for that. But I'm telling you what God taught me during those days was invaluable. It was just rich. And uh, it was a time when I just really had to learn how to trust in God. And, I, and it gave me a great compassion for people that struggle with depression of any kind. It is it is debilitating and it is, it is horrible. And if you're listening to me right now and you're one of those people that are struggling with depression, uh, I, I, my prayer for you today is honestly that, uh, that the God would make his face to shine upon you and that he would give you some tools today to help you work through whatever it is that you're going through. And my prayer is that God would deliver you from that uh, truthfully. So depression has been called the common cold of mental health disorders. It really is a common thing. It disrupts the life of between 30 and 40 million Americans today. It disrupts their life. 30 to 40 million Americans in our culture suffer from some level of depression. So when we, when we use the word depression, people use the word depression to cover anything from a disappointment from losing a baseball game to a terrifying gloom that leads to that could lead to the possibility of suicide. That's that gamut is what we're talking about. And uh, so let me define what I'm not going to talk about here today for just a few minutes. I'm not going to deal and address today depression that is caused by a chemical imbalance. 
if you have been diagnosed with such a thing as that, then I'm just going to tell you that you need to follow your doctor's instruction and your, your, your problem, your depression is real and it is not your fault and you need to listen and stay on your medication. That's what I would say to you. So I want to go back and talk about the kind of depression that comes on because of the, our response to life, because of struggle and because of stress and because of all sorts of things that are many, in many ways out of our control. So I want to start with talking about what the Bible says about depression. When you study the Bible, I don't think you'll ever find, in most versions, you won't find the word depression, but the Bible describes depression for us in many ways. So I want to show you a couple of those ways. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, I want to give you the context of this passage before I, before I actually read the passage. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul has instructed the Corinthians to take a person who was blatantly committing a gross act of sin he was having a physical relationship with his stepmother and unrepentant boasting about it and Paul says to that congregation you've got to remove him from the assembly until he repents well then we come to second Corinthians and we read that he has repented and we come to chapter 2, verse 7, and it says, speaking of this individual, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I want you to notice how the Bible describes for us depression, that he might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. That is a great definition of what someone who is walking through depression feels like. Psalm 119, verse 25, this is another way the Bible describes depression. The psalmist here just cries out and says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. My soul clings to the dust. That's an expression of hopelessness. And it is exactly what people feel like when they're experiencing depression. Sometimes depression is the feeling that the whole world is against me. And that is a genuine, honest feeling. But deep down inside, I know that's not true. Some smaller countries are probably neutral in, in, in their reaction to you. Martin Luther once spent three days in a depression that was over something that he had done wrong. And so on the third day, his wife came downstairs dressed in mourning clothes, clothes you know, expressing her, her grief over something that someone who had died and so her husband Martin Luther said who's dead and, uh, and she replied well God is dead and uh, and he says what do you mean God is dead Martin Luther says that God cannot die and so Martin Luther's wife replied to him well the way you've been acting I'm sure that he had I was sure that he had died so depression is a real thing so I want to start with the idea of kind of a working definition so you and I can work off, to, off of, of this definition so that we can have a starting place. So I'm going to describe depression in this way. This is not, this is a generalization. I get that. There's other kinds of depression, but depression, generally speaking, is an anger turned inward. And literally what happens is, is that when there's not a genuine expression of this anger when it's not appropriately, appropriately dealt with, oftentimes we turn inward with that anger and that anger then begins to debilitate us and we give a clinical definition of depression as a result of, of that anger turning inward. Now I realize there are exceptions, but that's where we're gonna start. There are three things 
that you need to know about depression, whether you're experiencing it or whether your loved one is experiencing it or whether you have a friend that is experiencing it. First of all, depression is universal. That is that there is no one exempt. You are not exempt. There's no such thing as a, sh- a sadness shield. You, you're, you don't have this superpower that makes you exempt from depression. That is just not how it works. It is a universal concept. It affects everybody from every walk of life, whether you have money or you don't have money, whether you live in exclusive areas of the country or you don't. It, depression is not discriminatory as who has it. It is universal in its nature and great people of faith got depressed let me name just a few of them for you just in case you think i'm making it up first of all abraham in genesis 15 was depressed about the fact that he had no heir jonah in chapter 4 got depressed when he saw that god spared the ninevites elijah first kings chapter 19 got depressed Jeremiah who was called the weeping prophet David got depressed and yes even Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane experienced the level of depression so it is universal it doesn't have to do with the fact that you have no faith these were these were all men of great faith in the Bible and yet they found themselves in a place where they got depressed so it's universal it's reoccurring in the sense that once you've had it you're not immune to it it can come back on you and it is highly contagious if you hang out with people who are depressed chances are it's going to cause you to come down it's going to cause depression so what causes depression in our life what what are some of the causes of depression in my case it was something physical it was something that I had that that had a solution had an answer to and in many cases that in many cases that's that's the cause but there are other causes of depression along the way that are more more psychological or social in in a nutshell some of them are things like fatigue just getting worn down in life having life come at you so hard for so long that the natural response is just to, you wake up and you don't have any energy you don't have any you don't have any zeal to life fatigue is a major cause of depression fear can be a major cause of depression because of its psychological results in our life frustration with life can be a cause of depression major failure in your life and who hasn't had that can be a cause of depression in your life being overwhelmed by life itself just so many things going on I mean you think about you know the you know 2020 and all the things that have happened this year and and the isolation that has taken place just being overwhelmed by life and then sometimes what causes our depression is that when we dwell on the past and realize how much damage we created in the past that can cause depression or sometimes just thinking about the future and thinking about being overwhelmed by I I don't know what to do I don't know where to go I don't know what decisions that I ought to make with my life so the question that I want to answer for just a few minutes is this does God give us any solutions to depression for our lives are there any tools that I can use on a daily basis that if I were to employ on a daily basis would make a difference in my depression 
And of course, the answer is yes, there are some tools that God gives to us to help us overcome depression. So let me suggest just a few of them. In fact, I'm going to suggest five tools before I start here. You can't ever try these things one time and then say, Dan, these things didn't work. All right. Is that a deal? These are things that you put in your life for a year every day. These are things, these are disciplines that you practice every day for a long sustained period of time and just watch to see what kind of results that God creates for us. The first thing that you have to do is that you have to validate truth and not feelings. You've got to validate the truth in your life and not feelings. Let me show you how this kind of works itself out. I want you to imagine going to the gym after this COVID munch my way into happiness era that we're in right now. I want you to imagine going to the gym after this era is over and you've gained a pound or two, well, let's say 10. And uh, you're very self-conscious about the weight you've gained. And, and so you figure I've got to do something about it. So you figure I got to go to the gym. So you go back to the gym, but you, you know, you assert, you, when you go to the gym, you look at all these really physically fit people at the gym, right? That's where they, I think that's where they hang out. That's their social hour. And so you walk into the gym and you see all these people that, you know, are probably a little more physically fit than you are. So you decide that you are going to choose a machine off in the corner. So where nobody can see you, you're just going to kind of, everybody's going to be, you know, out in front of you and nobody's going to see you and nobody's going to judge you. And so you start your exercise and at least a dozen people stare at you periodically. They just, for, they stop looking at you. Some of, them, some of people even turn around. They're on their machine. They turn around and kind of glare at you for about, you know, 10 seconds. And, uh, and, and you begin to become very self-aware that people are beginning to watch you. And then some lady walks right in front of your machine and squints, actually squints as she walks past you. Well, that does you in, right? That's it. I'm not going to be in this gym and I, I'm not going to be judged. You're, you're mortified. So you step off the machine and you start to leave. And as you're cleaning your machine off, you realize that the gym's only clock had been hanging just inches above your head. And everybody was looking at the clock and not you, but you've developed a whole scenario. You build your whole scenario based upon feelings and not truth. That's one case scenario, but I want to suggest to you that that happens to us all the time. That something happens in life and we begin to build our whole sense of identity and our whole sense of value and our whole sense of victory around something that just isn't true. So I want to show you what the Bible says here. James chapter 1 verse 2, it says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I mean, that's pretty radical, right? Consider everything that happens, that comes your way, that's bad, consider it as an opportunity for great joy. I want you to notice something here with me, however. I want you to notice it does not say feel joy, but rather consider it to be joy. That is to choose. That's different than a feeling. Choose that this circumstance in your life is to be something of value, to reckon, to consider. That's what James tells us to do. Every time you and I have 
something difficult in our lives, you and I are to reckon it, to consider it, to think about it in this manner. That is an opportunity for God to work in our life. And therefore, it is an opportunity for great joy in God's work inside of our life. That's so powerful. Now, here's the central truth that must be remembered about God. Now, think about it this way. God's principal work in your life, I promise you, is mercy. What God is doing right now, what God is doing this second in your life is he is demonstrating mercy to your life. So let me show you that from the Bible just so you see it. Make sure I'm not making this stuff up. So Moses is having God reveal himself to, to him, to Moses. So the Lord passes in front of Moses and as, as God passes in front of Moses, this is what God says to Moses as he's revealing himself to Moses. This is God's words. This is God's word to Moses and therefore to you and me. Yahweh, the Lord. This is God saying his name. God saying his own name here. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. When God wanted to reveal to his people who he was, I want you to notice with me that he revealed himself as a God of compassion and unfailing love. Kesed is the, is the Hebrew word there. The idea of God's loyal love in our lives. That's how God chose to reveal himself. In fact, when we read the book of Isaiah, this is what we discover about God. That God's judgment, God's judgment of his people is seen in Isaiah as God's strange work. It's not it's not his normal work it's his strange work so the truth is is that I've got to validate truth and minimize my feelings and the way that I do that is focusing on uh, focusing in on who God is and God reveals himself to you and to me as the God of mercy so what is God doing in your life today today God is speaking mercy over your life whether you can see it or not that is God's principal work and I'm telling you when you see God rightly you see yourself rightly it starts with God it doesn't start with you it starts with God when you see God rightly you begin to see yourself rightly that's the first step do it every day for the next year you validate truth about God every day in your life validate truth and I want then let's have a conversation a year from now and let's talk about how God has worked inside of your life and how he's changed maybe the levels of depression that you've had that's the first tool it gets better second tool is simply this you verbalize that is out loud you verbalize your hope in God now stop there for just one second I want to say to you that the principal work of the evil one in our lives is to produce passivity in it if you want to know what God is doing God is trying to build your faith if you want to know what Satan is doing he's trying to create passivity inside of you so for me to resist passivity what I've got to do is out loud with faith out loud I've got to verbalize my hope in God Psalm 42 5 this is a song that Israel sang why am I discouraged why is my heart so sad I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Israel regularly sang of their hope in God. Regularly sang. 
And I, I want you to notice it's, it, this is not about passivity. It's about expressing yourself. So why is this so important? Why is it so important? Emil Bruner, who was an old dead guy, a theologian, said it this way, what oxygen is to the lung, hope is to the meaning of life. What oxygen is to the lung, hope is to the meaning of life. So I verbalize my hope in God every day. I look for opportunities to sing, to verbalize my hope in God. The third thing that I would say is a tool that God gives to you and I is that we need to vent or, or lament to God himself. You need to, you need to vent your lament to God. So I want to show you this passage. I want you to just listen to it. It says, I cried out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. So do you know where this passage was written from? That's interesting. It wasn't a mountaintop experience. David, when he writes this psalm, is in a cave. So how did he get to that cave? Well, the truth is, is that he had an arch enemy by the name of Saul, the king of Israel. You might, might have heard of him, who hated David, who was jealous of David. And David, he, he declared one day that David was his number one enemy and his bent was to kill David. So this is what David did. David fled to the Philistines. He figured out, he's, Saul's not gonna find me among Israel's enemies. So he flees to the Philistines and the Philistines get word that there's Israelite among that, them. And so what David has to do, this, this is all in the Bible, just read it. What David has to do to preserve his own life is he has to act like he's crazy. He lets spittle, you know, in a drool down his, down his beard just simply so the Philistines would leave, leave him alone. And then he realizes this is a dangerous place for me to be. So he flees from the Philistines to a place in the wilderness that had a cave. And it's in that cave that David penned the words that we just read about God's mercy. And then there's Psalm 55. Psalm 55 was written by David when a close friend of him betrayed him. Listen to these words. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me and I can't stop shaking. That's David, the guy who killed Goliath. That's the king of Israel. That's the man after God's own heart. And David is saying, I can't stop shaking. So you have to lament. David is lamenting. In both of those passages, David is just speaking the truth to God. He's lamenting it. You can do that out loud. You can do that by journaling any way you want, but you have to do it. Then the fourth tool that God gives us is the concept of resisting. I said earlier that the work of the evil one is to make us passive. Just make us passive. So what God wants us to do is have a, a sense of resistance in our life. James 4, 7 says this. So humble yourselves before God. Now that, watch this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what is the opposite of, of uh, resisting? I think the opposite of resisting is just being passive. That's what it is. The opposite of resisting is being passive. I'm to resist the evil one and I resist the evil one by fleeing to God notice that the devil is the one that is fleeing from you when you draw near to God when you've run to God so you humble yourself before God then the fifth concept and remember we're putting all these things together 
The fifth concept is that you daily draw near to God. You daily draw near to God. Hebrews 10, 19 says, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We, making a decision to draw near to God is a daily decision. I have a, a habit in my life. I have something that I do at least 363 days a year. And uh, probably should do it 365, but I get lazy. And that is that I get on all four of my, you know, all, all four extremities here, get down on my knees and my hands. I bow my head on the floor to God and I humble myself and I say, God, you are holy and I'm sinful, but today I choose to draw near to you. That's a, that's a habit that's made a significant difference in my life. You draw near to God by humbling yourself by humbling yourself so with that said I want to give you some I want to spend my next five minutes with you as we close down together the service I want to I want to I want to spend five minutes with some really practical advice for you number one if you're experiencing depression avoid being alone I know that's difficult during a pandemic, but the truth is, is that you can put your, you can mask up, you can walk the mall, you can find creative ways to be with people. Don't, uh, don't, don't isolate. You cannot isolate because that is going to create deeper depression. Secondly, you got to seek help from others. You got to admit to your friends. You need to text, if you're in depression today, you need to text one of your friends today and say, hey, help me, talk to me. I'm in depression. Just be honest with them. Seek help from others. And then you need to sing. There's nothing about, there's nothing like lifting up the name of God. Even if you can't sing a, you know, a tune like me, singing makes a major difference. Get in your car, turn the music up so loud that you can't hear yourself and shout to the Lord and no one's gonna hear it but you and God and he'll take note. And then give thanks. Every day, give thanks. I want to just be transparent with you and I told you that I had an illness about six years ago which I which I don't experience hardly any depression anymore or hardly any anxiety but I'm sick because of the medication that I have to take I'm sick every day I have to take this anti-parasitic medication and I wake up sick every day I mean horror I mean for six years sick every day I can't remember a day that I haven't woken up sick and I've developed a discipline in my life where I, every day when my eyes pop open, I find something before my feet hit the ground to thank God for. Thank you, God. You just give thanks. You just give thanks. And then fifthly, you lean on God's word. You take his promises. You take his promises truthfully and honestly. That's how he's meant them. I'm telling you, it is an amazing thing when you lean on God's. I'm not just saying read God's word. I'm talking about leaning into God's word, trusting in God's word. When he says to trust him, you trust him. You trust him. You lean into him. And this isn't going to be on the screen. I'm going to give you one more thing that I just, I woke up with it on my heart today to say to you. And that is that if you're start struggling from depression, you got to get up and move. You got to exercise. You just got to get up and move. You've got 
to exercise because there's something that happens hormonally when you exercise that there's something that happens there that creates the right kind of hormones for you and I'm telling you every day you got to move you just got to get up and whatever that means for you you got to get up and move and I want to end our time together by just simply saying this you never have to face anything alone if you face it alone it's because you're choosing aloneness not because God's choosing it for you because the moment you get saved the moment you come to Jesus you get down on your knees and you say yes to him he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell with you forever and ever and ever he seals you until the day of your redemption wherever you go he goes whatever you think he thinks he indwells you forever and ever and ever and he is called the comforter he is he is the he is the unredeemable down payment of your salvation and you'll never face another day alone if you've said yes to Jesus and you need to take comfort in that that is such a powerful truth Abraham wasn't alone Jonah wasn't alone Job wasn't alone Elijah wasn't alone Jeremiah wasn't alone and David wasn't alone and even though Jesus thought he was alone he was not alone when he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me you're not alone you are not alone and may the spirit of God teach you to rejoice in God's presence